Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, Black Friday is behind us, and the final month of 2022 stretches out ahead of us. What will you do with this final month of the year? Personally, I'm making a point of stepping into December with intention. Intention to slow down, intention to be present, and intention to live this month joyfully by letting go of the things that create stress, which, conveniently enough, includes overspending, which leads us into our first interview. Over the last few months, we've been chatting finances for generations with Meridian Credit Union, and this week we're looking at millennials, who often get a bad rap when it comes to finances. So today we're leaving behind the ridiculous narrative that says they're broke because of avocado toast and expensive lattes, and diving into the matter seriously with Marian Madafar from Meridian Credit Union. Menopause is something all women will experience at some point in their life, yet at least half of us are completely unprepared when it arrives. The lack of knowledge about menopause leaves millions of women struggling to understand what is happening to their bodies, why they may be feeling the way they do, and whether treatment and support is available. Janet Coe, president of the Menopause Foundation of Canada, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness of the impact of menopause on women and society, joins me to discuss. Anne Brody is glued to the screen now that award season is here, but she tears herself away this week to give us an update on what's new, including a look at Poland's EO, a submission for the Best International Feature Oscar, the riveting The Swimmers on Netflix, which recreates the real-life struggles of two young Syrian women, and the gloriously eccentric Please Baby Please available now on TVOD. We ignore what happens in our local elections at our peril, particularly when it comes to education. Dr. Prachi Srivastava, who specializes in education and global development, joins me to discuss school governance and why we need to be paying attention to who is directly impacting policy at this level. Louise Penny fans are chomping at the bit for Amazon Prime's video release of Three Pines, starring Alfred Molina. Anne Brody had the honor of chatting with Penny ahead of the series premiere and shares a bit of that interview with us today. Finally, we close out this week's show with Shell, a pop singer-songwriter from Toronto. Shell's unique sound, as well as performance style with her five-piece band, attracts a wide range of age groups with people from all walks of life. She joins me to discuss the inspiration behind her newest single, Think of Me, before we play the song for you. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region.
This year, we've been exploring the financial challenges and opportunities of different generations with Meridian Credit Union. We've already looked at boomers and Gen X, so today we're focusing in on millennials with Miriam Matafar, who is an investment specialist with Meridian. So let's move past the tired Starbucks and avocado toast comparisons and really get to the heart of millennials' financial picture. Welcome to What She Said, Miriam. Thank you, Candice. Glad to be here. So, you know, I think millennials, honestly, my impression is they get a bad rap. Usually <laughs> they get picked on for avocado toast and Starbucks. Oh, yes. And that is just so unfair. So let's talk about what their real picture looks like for millennials. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, who hasn't heard about the uh, avocado toast and Starbucks and probably what they represent for my generation normally, but I would say that's really stereotyping. But again, every generation has to be known for something. Right? I know you were talking about Gen X the previous episode. So a lot of similarities, uh, but also some differences. I'd say with millennials, um, maybe that avocado to toast represents our differences that we are different from our parents. We are different from baby boomers, basically. And um, just because there are the environment in which we grew up was really different. We were the first generation to grow up in internet age, iPhones and all that looking up stuff. We um, faced most of us, at least, when we graduated at a university, going to the working life, we faced a recession in 2008. So normally that gets us stuck in um, longer, lower paying jobs. So th those are a little bit of the common struggles and challenges, but we also have common values that I might just want to touch on today with you um, and just kind of see what helps and what are some um, you know, common themes that millennials are both as a generation using to improve their lives? There's a little doubt that we're all facing financial struggles right now. And I, I'd like to talk about what millennials are looking at right now in terms of the struggles and then maybe where there's some opportunity for them because uh, I'm Gen X, I'm a little bit further along the line and my opportunities to you know, sort of build wealth are diminishing as I get older. What are the opportunities millennials have right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so I believe a cornerstone of every success, whether personally or financially, basically that we're going to talk more about today is having a plan. So we all value that convenience and peace of mind of um, that sense of well-being. So I think having that plan, which we've talked about numerous times in different channels, is really important. And it's sometimes undervalued, but especially my generation, uh, things that gets forgotten or not prioritized. So if you have that working budget, if you have that um that again, financial plan, which I'm going to use a lot today, uh, you probably are going to be better off in terms of extending your wealth, making sure it's lasting for you as long as you, you'd need it to. And one of the things I think that's really interesting about specifically your generation is because you said, you know, you're sort of born on the internet. It all sort of happened for you on the internet, which means you have access to information but maybe too much information when it comes to financial advice, which can be very confusing, which I think is where a financial advisor is probably a really good idea because there's so much to wade through otherwise. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it's really easy. Internet has made it really easy for us to look up stuff. I want to know how to make a pumpkin pie uh, fresh at home. I just look it up. It's really easy. I don't need to go buy a book for it. But on the other hand, like you said, an overwhelming amount of information, contradictory point of views, like people come into my office being really lost and there's no shame about it because you are lost when you simply want to choose between two different types of savings accounts. RSVs or TFSA, or retirement savings or tax-free savings account, which one should I choose? So you're faced with a lot of overwhelming and different kinds of information where a financial advisor can actually talk to you, ask you questions, know what your priorities as a unique individual is, and maybe the one type of account is better for you and the other type is going to be better for somebody else in, your, um, in a different situation. So uh, you're absolutely right. A financial advisor can take all those doubts out, uh, help you. They have experience. They've met with a lot of people, probably in similar situations, and they can definitely help you out with that. And, you know, I've had Dillis DeCruz on many times on the show. And one of the things she always says, and I love when she says this, is if, you know, you don't trust your financial advisor, get a new financial advisor. And that's the beauty of, of finding somebody that you can connect with, who understands your story and understands what you're demanding. And speaking of that, I think there's something else that's really incredible. I want to sort of prop up millennials here because, again, that with that bad rap, you're really socially conscious about where you're investing your dollars. I think that's super important. Yes, absolutely. So responsible investing has been a big theme in the past few years. It has always been around 30 years plus, but really come to the forefront in the past few years. And uh, I see that it speaks a lot with millennials. So when they come to my office, want to put their money towards their future, other than getting a good return, their next question is, so what am I investing in? Is there uh, is this fund ESG friendly, which is environmental, social and corporate governance wise? So we want to make uh, a positive impact with our money as well as saving for future. For example, uh, if your advisor told you that, hey, you know, by this $200 a month that you're putting away, you're funding a micro loan, you know, microfinance company that's supporting female entrepreneurs to fund their business, right? So that makes you feel good about your investing as well, which is really powerful to me. So if you find that advisor that they share the same values with you, they know how to explain ESG responsible investing, I think you're set. Okay. So you said though the, the also, you know, because I think when boomers, my parents probably invested. Uh, I don't know that they ask those questions. How out front are you with this information? Is it easily accessible for people who want to invest? Like does, does Meridian share all of this out front? Uh, yes. So we're a big platform. Um, our CEO is a really big advocate of um, ESG and responsible investing. And But if you if people don't ask their advisors, I know from the advisors that work with me, we normally bring that up, you know, here are the other positive impacts you're making with your investments. So we actually open it up and say, hey, did you know this investment, you know, it's uh, ESG friendly. So I do that certainly for sure. And I can't speak for all the advisors out there, but Meridian is a bit, big advocate, that's for sure. All right, excellent. So what are you seeing for uh, millennials going into 2023? What do you think their biggest concerns are going to be? 
So uh, I find it really difficult to stick to a plan, especially when interest rates are going up like this. And also we all have a certain amount of debt. So that definitely impacts our budgets. Going into 2023, I would say it's even more important to review that budget. It's even more important to have those buckets and make sure you don't spend more than you make. Or if you do, make sure you pay it off at the end of the month or not the next month at the very least. So um, I'd say that budget and it speaks to people around my age, my friends very well, that if you stick to that budget, you're going to be good, but review it. It has to be working. Don't just put it up on the fridge on your computer and just leave it, right? It won't work that way. So that's my one advice for, for people my age that um, meet with your financial advisors regularly, make sure you're on plan and make sure you're not missing out on your opportunities for savings. All right. Incredible. I think budget is going to be something every generation is going to be getting very familiar with in 2023. <laughs> so this applies to everybody. Uh, Miriam, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Uh, this is incredibly helpful. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. like menopause snuck up on you and smacked you over the head with a two by four, you're not alone. The reality is that half of women are completely unprepared for this stage of life. And my next guest believes that's a gender equity issue. Janet Coe is president of the Menopause Foundation of Canada, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness of the impact of menopause on women and society. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to what she said, Janet. Thanks for having me, Candice. So how many women in Canada right now are experiencing menopause? Well, there are 10 million women in Canada over the age of 40. So when we think about menopause, the average age to reach menopause is 51. And women typically reach menopause between the ages of 45 and 55. But one of the biggest myths is that menopause happens and then it's over. Menopause is a continuum and women will spend up to one half of their life in menopause. So it's not a simple answer, but 10 million women over the age of 40 are likely in perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. It's a huge number. And our issues related to menopause have been ignored and overlooked. And we have to change that. Yeah, I mean, I when I said, you know, hit over the head with a two by four, I have to say that my own experience was very much like that because I was experiencing 20 to 30 hot flashes a day at one point. And uh, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't really have a lot of uh, knowledge, prior knowledge to it. So I feel this is a super important issue for people to know because it's not just hot flashes. It's much, much more, correct? Absolutely. And your experience is very similar to, to many women in a survey that we just released, a landmark report called The Silence and the Stigma, Menopause in Canada. One in two women are actually unprepared for this stage of life for a universal experience that all women will go through. And that was my own experience of being blindsided by menopause. And you're right that there's absolutely more than hot flashes, although most women are aware of hot flashes, there, there are more than 30 symptoms 
associated with menopause. And they include things like memory fog, brain fog, um, joint and muscle issues, heart palpitations. Some women can go through some depression, um, skin changes and issues. So there's a number of things that women need to know and understand. So you can connect the dots on what's happening to you and you can live your life to the fullest once you know that you're in perimenopause, that these are the things that could happen to you, and then you can take charge of your health. So tell me then about your foundation. What prompted you to start it, and how are you creating community? Well, what prompted us to start the Menopause Foundation of Canada, I myself had a long and winding road uh, going through my own uh, menopausal experience. I was in my 40s at the height of my career, kids, family, I did not know what perimenopause was and had, like you, about 30 hot flashes a day, had multiple symptoms that were really left untreated. And that had a negative impact on my own health. And it took a long time to get accurate information and to find my way through the healthcare system until I finally, in my 50s, got to a menopause specialist, um, an OB-GYN who specializes in menopause, who then looked at me and said I was a great candidate for menopause hormone therapy, and I got my, my life back, essentially, and my health back. Uh, that's not the journey or the solution for every woman, but it certainly is an option. Uh, and along with my co-founder, Trish Barbado, who also had a challenging menopausal experience, we just realized that there were lots of women like us who were going through this, and we did not want them to have the same kind of journey that we had. Women need to have the knowledge. We need to close that menopause knowledge gap. They need the information to support them through this time of their life. And unfortunately, um, our healthcare community, medical practitioners do not have a lot of knowledge about menopause. So when women go to their healthcare practitioners, our recent survey showed that the majority of them feel that they're getting unhelpful information, and four in 10 women felt that their symptoms were undertreated. So again, the Menopause Foundation of Canada was created to close that menopause knowledge gap and to be a place where women can go to for evidence-based information, and also where they can go to to find a physician who specializes in menopause. So there's all kinds of resources that are on that site. And I have to say we're very proud that we're guided by a medical advisory board of many of Canada's top medical specialists who have dedicated their lives to women's health and to understanding menopause. It's incredible. I love that you said this about, you know, um, that you went to a specialist in menopause. I can imagine, given the current state of, of, of medicine in Canada, it must be difficult to find experts like that. Absolutely. There, you know, we assume as women, I know I certainly did, that every OB-GYN knows what they're doing when it comes to menopause, or that your family physician would have a certain level of understanding of menopause, but that's actually not the case. And that was one of the, the big eye-opening moments that made us decide that this was a, a, an equity issue for women. Women are supported when we're going through puberty, when we're trying not to get pregnant, when we're trying to get pregnant, when we're having babies after we have the babies, and then you hit, you know, this time in your life where you're really in the prime of your life, and that support drops off, and there's a deafening silence in our society about menopause. 
And anything that you do here is generally overwhelmingly negative, which leads many women, uh, four in 10 in our survey, feeling like they're going through menopause and they're all alone. What a tragedy that, you know, this is going to happen to 50% of the population. It's a universal experience. And women do not get the health care they need, have little support from their communities, and feel very alone going through this type of an experience. Well, you are sorely needed. You're coming at the right time. So thanks so much uh, for joining me today. I want people to be able to find you. Uh, so where can they connect and keep up with all that you're doing? We really encourage women to join us. Uh, visit the menopausefoundationcanada.ca. That's our website. You'll find evidence-based resources. You'll find links to find a physician. And we just want women to remember that you deserve to feel healthy in the prime of your life. And let's make sure to take action to close that menopause knowledge gap. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Janet. Thanks, Candice. It's award season and Anne Brody is busy, 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 glued to her screen and screens in theaters. But we've got her nailed down for what's new this week. So let's start with EO. Anne, tell me all about it. This is an incredible film. And let me emphasize that it is a drama, not a documentary. It's called EO. It's from Poland. It's their Oscar submission. And it's EO because it's about a donkey. Uh, the crew follows a donkey on his wanderings through Europe and everything that he sees and experiences. It's magical and it's scary. There's so much going on in it. He uh, he runs away. Everywhere he goes, he's, he's put in cages, but he runs away and they manage to follow him. And he encounters foxes and um, cruel people and nice people. And uh, he wanders into one mansion and um, Isabel Ubera's is inside, which is strange because she's a huge actress. So you wouldn't expect her to be there. <laughs> and that's a peculiar storyline. But it, honestly, you know, if you love animals, you have to see EO. Uh, it is so beautifully made and so stunning in the visuals it gets and the experiences that this little guy has. So that is on at Tiff Bell Lightbox and select, select theaters across Canada. Okay, excellent. I want to hear about the swimmers because, you know, this is what she said. This one seems very powerful, especially when it comes to women. Wow, it was astounding. This is the film that opened TIFF this year. It's from Syria. It's about two Syrian. It's a true story. Again, it's a feature, but it's a true story of two sisters who, who grew up in, a, uh, in, in Damascus, which was free for women. So no hijabs, no, no uh, um, you know, some suppression. So their father was a swimmer and he coached them so hard all through their lives. And they're now uh, looking to compete in the Olympics in Rio in 2016. Well, in the middle of, the, of their celebration, the country is sort of at civil war, but it's to the side. But one night when they're having a party way up in a high rise, in the, in the distance, you can see missiles coming in flying in and dropping on their city. And it's the Russians because the Russians have been called in by the government to put down the civil war. So 
They can't walk down the street without having to be ID'd. They're nearly raped by a couple of soldiers. So they they convince their parents that they've got to leave. They're, they're just teenagers, but they, they head to Germany. Um, and like so many millions of people who've come across in crowded little inflatable dinghies across the Mediterranean or the Red Sea, they find themselves there in terrible circumstances. Honestly, it's gut-wrenching. Um, and eventually they make it to Germany and things begin to change for them. I mean, it's not a spoiler to say what happens. They wound up in Rio and then they wound up in Tokyo. But the life they led in order to get from Syria to safety, just knock your socks off. I will add that one to my list for sure this weekend. Uh, tell me about Please Baby Please. Oh my, this is so eccentric. I just loved it. Andrea Riseborough and Harry Melling both English actors play uh, really tough, I think New Yorkers, a city's never named. It's just a bunch of sets, a sidewalk and an apartment and all kinds of uh, interesting characters, drag queens, uh, gang members, um, innocent people. They all uh, congregate in these areas and experience all kinds of crazy things. There's dancing and art and music and violence and killing and the dialogue is incredibly witty um, and it just moves things along so fast. Uh, it's a rather unusual film and you just have to be prepared for that when you go in, but it's really worth it. I have a favorite line from the film, which is, I'm obsessed with the Laudia and terrified of Ichiya. Okay, I might use that line. <laughs> Um, okay, tell me about uh, t tell me about dough on topic. Ooh, this is a good one. This is it's not real, I don't think. <laughs> it's a series on topic, which is a Eurocentric kind of a mystery streaming service in Canada, and it concerns uh, two women who are on the verge of total collapse. One is a store owner who's so entirely bankrupt. Um, the other is a young criminal with a with a baby who's escaping people who mean to kill her. So one woman, the the store owner, drives out to the woods to scream and cry, and she discovers, get this, a bag filled with forty seven million kroners or five million dollars. A little bit later, she takes off with it. A little bit later, the criminal girl shows up and sees that it's gone. She had put it there. Ironically, the very next day, the criminal girl goes into the bakery that this woman has, over, has bought overnight to launder the money to ask for a job. And then they're together. It's so <laughs> crazy. And it is ex extremely suspenseful. And it, you'll, just, you'll just binge the whole thing. It's just insane. Excellent. So we're, we don't have a lot of time here, but I think we just want to, both of us were talking about this prior and we just want to give a shout out to Falling for Christmas on Netflix with Liz, Lindsay Lohan, not because it's like a masterpiece theater, but because it's so good to see Lindsay <laughs> back on top, right? It is not, but yay, Lindsay. And she looks so into it and it's her return to Christmas movies and she just looks happy and she looks healed and as though she's through the, the torments of the last couple of decades. But, you know, she's uh, 39 now, and I think she's just happy to be back.
All right, so you've got all of this and more, including Glass Onion and Fablemans uh, over on the website. So uh, head on over and check it out for all of Anne's uh, new reviews of, of what's out there. And we'll see you next week, Anne. We'll see you next week. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. expression all politics is local has never been more true. One need only look at the most recent elections in Ontario where at least 20 anti-trans candidates ran for local school boards across the province, according to CBC News. So today, Dr. Prachi Srivastava is joining me to discuss school governance and the importance of paying attention to what's happening in your community. Welcome back to the show, Prachi. Hi, Candice. Thanks for having me back. I mean, this is not going to be a conversation about these anti-trans candidates, but I think it points to a bigger issue in that it's really important we pay attention to who is running uh, for these local school boards and what they're running on. I think oftentimes we think it's just not that important. Understanding that that these are actual elections and that this is a democratically elected uh, system in terms of you know how schools are run but you know the the position of trustee for example um it's it's a very important position because it's basically a liaison that position is a liaison between the board the school and the community and so it really is very important to pay attention to who the candidates are many times candidates that are running uh as part of this you know it's part of the municipal elections in ontario at least and many times there might be candidates there who have their eyes on uh, more uh, on, on a political career, perhaps after that as well. So, in terms of really understanding that you know our schools have a governance structure that is part of a democratic system, which is part of elections, local elections, is really important. Um, I historically, um, trustee elections have not gotten a lot of uh, uh, attention uh, or a lot of you know press or even a lot of local attention. Because I think community members or citizens are not really aware that this is how schools are governed. Uh, but they have a really important role to play in terms of, you know, campaigning, in terms of trying to put in uh, policies or at least ca uh, campaigning for policies that would be more equitable. And we saw that during the pandemic. Uh, there were some trustees that were very open, very progressive, very much trying to. Um, fight for education recovery and continuity. Um, and they were really a really big source of information in terms of what was happening at the school level. So let's talk then about the inequities that happen, though, when we're not paying attention and, and what we can do to, to, you know, to make sure that kids are benefiting uh, in the education system from people who are truly fighting for everybody's rights. Yeah, so I think the example that you gave... I, in terms of uh, coverage of school elections, I think this time that was unique because we did actually see quite a bit of coverage in terms of the kinds of candidates that are coming up. And so the kinds of issues 
about inclusion, about diversity, about rebuilding and, and, and recovery in our system. We know that there are schools uh, really because of the pandemic that have suffered more than others uh, because of the local characteristics, because perhaps their school communities are lower income communities or they're uh, continuously underfunded. Uh, within the context of education budgets being cut, this is an even bigger issue. Um, we are seeing questions around minority language rights. Uh, there are lots of very important issues that are very, that are almost discussed and debated and pushed for at the grassroots level. So if there are community members, uh, parents, engaged citizens that want to be part of that discussion, we have to make sure that Questions around equity, poverty, uh, you know, these are really at the forefront. And it's a way of holding school boards accountable. It's also a way of getting, of, of campaigning and actually speaking for a community, especially in lower income and racialized neighborhoods, uh, to speak for communities and for parents and for children that may feel quite ambivalent about approaching the school themselves because there are ingrained power relations within schools and, and within schools, school committees and parent committees as well. So it's a really important structure. Yeah, and I just want to briefly, like we don't have enough time to get into all of this, unfortunately, but I really do want to just touch, go even more micro on this and talk about mm -hmm. uh, the local PTA. Also very important, has a huge impact on your kids' education. Yeah, the parent-teacher committees or parent-teacher associations are, are, you know, at the most microcosm. They, they are the way that certain type, types of uh, concerns get raised. And it's, it's within the context of a particular school. So who are these parents that are, you know, on the PTA? What, what is it that's being discussed? What are the local concerns within a school? Now, we have a lot of research to show that, in fact, it tends to be middle-class um, parents or parents that have a certain level of education um, that might have a certain level of language fluency, whether it's English or French, because really we have to think about what the school is like. And a lot of times minoritized parents, racialized parents, just don't uh, figure that very prominently in those, in those councils. So again, it's just about thinking about the reproduction of these um, inequities within our system, even at the level of schools. I want to end with one final comment. I don't think people are aware that uh, in, in many, uh, at least in, in Canada and the U.S., a lot of times these PTAs uh, were, because of the mothering culture, you know, mothers and schools, a lot of times they were the only places for women to actually engage in some kind of political discourse. That's a much longer conversation for another time. But for example, in the U.S., um, they were almost, uh, you know, alongside the suffragette movement, uh, movement, because many times the only place where women had any power, any say, was when it had to do with children. And the only formalized structure in society at that time that they could get involved with were schools through establishing these PTAs. So it can also be a really strong vehicle for excluded communities um, to actually reclaim some power if they're able to integrate or, or if those committees are actually made in a much more inclusive way. Now we would talk more about um, racialized communities, lower income communities, um, families of choice. How do those groups and how do those uh, parents 
get involved into school governance so that our schools are more inclusive. Prachi, as always, very informative. Never enough time with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you on Twitter? I'm still on Twitter. Uh, I know people are leaving, but I'm still on there at Prachi Srivas. I'm also on Mastodon. Um, but if you can find me, just Google me and, and, and you can find me. Okay, incredible. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Candice. And Brody has a treat for us this week with an interview with Louise Penny, whose wildly popular books based in fictional Three Pines comes to life on Amazon Prime Video December 2nd, starring Alfred Molina in the lead role as Gamash. Let's listen in now. The first thing I want to ask you about is the setting and the role of nature. Mm -hmm. It's so Canadian. It's so wintry. It's us. Yeah. And that was, that was so important, so important in the books. But I mean, when you have a television series, that has to be because setting is character. Setting is, it's, if you miss that in a, in a, in a series, and you often do in a, in a big city, because one city is pretty much, as we know, because Toronto exactly. and Vancouver double as other cities, you know, you could be anywhere. And we wanted to make sure that this was unmistakably Canada and unmistakably Quebec and celebrate it. Yeah, that was, that's just magnificent. And also Those have that history. duality because the books are about, the stories are about duality. The, the, yeah. the spectacular uh, locations, the, the beauty yeah. of nature that can turn on you like that. You know, the skills and, are and like people, you know. Yes, that's exactly it. And people yep. who can turn. Speaking of which, you have a wicked imagination. Cece's demise. <laughs> I mean, it's sad, but honestly, it's hysterical. <laughs> Well, do you know how that, I'll tell you how that came about. Oh, do. I'm not sure I've told many people this, but after the, uh, the first book, Still Life, um, where, where the woman is murdered with, a, with an arrow, um, my husband, Michael, said, said you know, you should, you should make it really Canadian, really Canadian the next, like, so I said, like, what? And he said, let me think about it. So next morning he comes down to breakfast. And he said, like at a curling match. I said, that's great. What happened? Well, let me think about it. So yeah, so it's in, on a lake and it's in front of everyone. And she's electrocuted at a curling match with the entire village there. Oh, God, that's genius. I said, how does that work? Just nutty and wonderful. And it uh, just, uh, to have a little sense of humor in, in the midst of darkness, you know, and the play of dark and light is yes. magnificent. Thank um, you. So yeah, so Alfred, how did, so he's EP. So how did you connect with them or how was well, that? I, I didn't, I didn't. Um, and uh, it was actually fairly far along in the process. We had, we had scripts, at least sort of first drafts of scripts and still working on that and um, struggling to find a gamache because it had to be the right one. And we weren't, nobody was going to um, compromise. Although I was afraid that as time went by, they were going to, you know, go with a stick figure or you know, to anyone. Um, but Left Bank, who made Wallander as yes. well, 
and ah. other and the oh. crown and they do um outlander and so you know they're not going to compromise and so wow so they kept looking and thinking and i did too and then i had a call from andy harry's the head of left bank one day and he said alfred molina alfred that all those two words alfred molina and my mm. stress i can't tell you Anne. i was so stressed up till then I thought I was going to have a breakdown. I mean, really, there were times I couldn't sleep. I was in tears. I couldn't. And then as soon as they said, Alfred Molina, oh, my God, his eyes alone, just his eyes, you know, the, the deep brown eyes that Gamash has as well, the compassion, the empathy. So that, that's how that's, it, it wasn't me. I wish it was me. I, I mean, I was on board immediately, but it, I wish I could say it was me, but it wasn't. That's fantastic. And uh I mean, he plays this unusual detective, your detective, who, um, I mean, there's so many detectives out there, but this guy is set apart. And tell me how he is. Well, he's set apart because he's happy. He's content. And he's, he's a happy man, not because he's too stupid to understand how cruel the world is. He is perfectly well aware. He sees it every day. He stands over mutilated bodies he has to knock on the doors of families and murder them as well essentially yeah yeah, yeah. he knows pain he knows pain and he knows pain from his own past but out of that comes the knowledge of how precious life is and for those of us who get to live it how dare us not live it with gratitude and with an awareness of how lucky we are within love with courage the courage of our convictions and that's where it comes out of the crucible of, of the awareness of how cruel the world is. They, they, there's a quote from Auden's um, poem to um, Melville, and it, it's, it's very short. It's, well, the poem's long, but the quote is, goodness existed, that was the new knowledge. His terror had to blow itself quite out to let him see it. So the books and the series are about terror. Yeah. They're also about goodness. And the yes. gust that comes out of that terror. And that's what makes Gamash different. You can catch more of this interview with Louise Penny, plus interviews with actors El Maya Tailfeathers and Tracy Deer from Three Pines right now on WhatSheSaidTalk.com. with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Past 3 a.m. Don't know where he's been, but he smells like her. Whiskey on his breath. Don't know what he's done, but I'm losing it. My next guest is a pop singer-songwriter from Toronto. At the tender age of 14, she began her music career and has since traveled to Nashville for her songwriting, appeared in a feature film, and released countless singles. Infused with inspiration from pop, disco, and R&B, Shell's unique sound as well as performance style with her five-piece band attracts a wide range of age groups with people from all walks of life. Her newest single, Think of Me, dropped on October 28th, and right after we find out what inspired the song, we're playing it for you in its entirety right here on What She Said. Welcome to the show, Shell. Thank you so much, Candice. Uh, I want to know... Uh, 
the meaning behind this song. I listened to it uh, on repeat over the weekend and love it. So tell me the story behind it. Yeah, um, it was kind of inspired by a Taylor Swift song, actually. She wrote a song called No Body, No Crime. And she narrates a really cool, interesting, true crime type of story. Uh, first time I heard that, my jaw was literally on the floor. And I thought that would be so cool to recreate some sort of uh, true crime story. Um, but this time I actually based it on a, a true story that actually happened, <laughs> um, which was really cool and different for me because I'm very used to writing pop happy songs. So this is a little bit darker. Um, so yeah, that's that's the song inspiration. <laughs> and there's obviously this wasn't the only song you released um mm -hmm. how long did it take you to pull this album together um yeah so i wrote the song quite quickly um i would say within like 10 to 20 minutes um i was very inspired when i wrote it and it took me no time um and then the actual recording process i think took about a month and then it was out i released it as soon as we finished so not too long around like a month and a half in total probably and what, what is next for you? What are you planning to do next? Will you be touring? Um, can people catch your, your shows places? Yeah, um, I have a bunch of shows uh, coming up. I have on December 10th, I play a comedy show at the Comedy Bar downtown Toronto on Bloor. Um, and I have more releases coming up in the new year. So it's very exciting. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so we're going to listen to Think of Me right now on What She Said Talk but I want people to be able to keep up with you because uh, I think you're probably going to be as big as Taylor Swift someday. So <laughs> where's your social and where can they catch your music? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at underscore shell, C-H-E-L-L-E, shell music, underscore shell music, and then on Spotify with shell. <laughs> All right, incredible. Thank you so much for joining to me. We're going to close out today's show with Think of Me. Thank you. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Dan and I have a perfect life Four kids now since he's made me his wife But Dan has been acting strange Something about him, yeah, something to say He's out at night, sneaking in the house Ten past three a.m. Don't know where he's been But he smells like her Whiskey on his breath Don't know what he's done But I'm losing it what happened to you and you left me that night When you said that you weren't feeling right And I let you leave, baby, I need answers Did you lie when you said you went home? Or did you go and see alone? Did you think of me, baby, did you?
yours now Left me for that stupid cow She looks just like me when I was young Just shy of 21 I lost the house, I'm alone again And the judge told me, stay away from him But I'm so obsessed with this mess And he took my kids, honey Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.